Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 12. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm reading from New Living Translation. You can follow on the screen or on your Bibles with you this morning. Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. And let the church say amen. But I press on, I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing. One thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And there is a definite move of the Spirit this morning. I can feel it. God wants to say something to us today about what will we leave behind. Can we just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning? Um, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm trying something in my teaching and not to make too many applications because I want the Holy Ghost to make the application in your heart. So I'm going to preach what the Word says and let the Spirit of God make the application for you. Will you do that? Will you ask God to make the application for you in your life and speak to you personally? Let the Spirit of the Lord work in your heart. Jesus, we open up ourselves today to your Word. I pray that your Spirit would make the application for us. You know every person, what they're dealing with, what they're facing, and what they need to leave behind in order to follow after you, Jesus. I pray that you'd help us to hear your voice. The gentle touch and tug of your spirit is here now. Lord, to pull and, and, and deepen our walk, our further our walk with you this morning. Let there be a demonstration of your spirit. Let us feel that unction of your spirit and, and speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, as we enter into your time of, of reading your word and understanding, would you speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. For those of you that are looking for extra reading throughout your week, there's a great book by a man uh, who's uh, a Christian, and he is also a psychologist and does lots of work in the field of, of mental health and psychology and things, and he writes a lot of good books. Uh, you may have heard of his books, maybe not. His name is Dr. Henry Cloud. Uh, he wrote a book called Necessary Endings. I recommend it for anybody that's in any kind of transition in your life, any kind of transition, it's so good. It just helps to break things down um, and help you navigate the changes of life and that, that sometimes things must come to an end, and that's okay. And it's not bad. It can actually, if, if, if you recognize it, if you see it, if you realize it, you can... You can navigate those changes and come out unscathed or even better than you were when you entered them. But, you know, everything has to come to an end. It's kind of the way of life. Uh, you know, birthday parties eventually come to an end. And much to kids' uh, dismay, there is a closing hour to the fun park and the theme park. And 
uh, while the ride started out well, eventually it comes back to the, the station and the ride is over and all that hour you waited to get on the ride has been, has been eaten up in about uh, a minute and 30 seconds, you know? Uh, it, it, that, it was fun and, and many of us would think, well, it was worth it, but it does eventually come to an end. Uh, have you ever forgotten something that you knew you were supposed to remember, you know? It's, it's, my, it's, it's a thing with me and my wife. It's kind of a joke. Um, I can never actually leave the house without coming back in two or three times. That's, I, I try. I really do. And sometimes I'm walking out the door trying to carry everything in my hands that I need. Just so I, it's like a game. If I can make it out of the house in one trip, I win. But if I have to go back, I like hang my head in shame. And my wife said to me, she's like, it's like Jack in the Box. The door just keeps opening and opening and closing. Uh, you know, you forget your keys, your phone, your wallet. Uh, there's a guy who even made a song about it. A Worma Keys, a Worma Phone, a Worma Keys. Anybody see that on YouTube? Okay, look it up. Where's my keys? Where's my phone? It's a great, it's one of those songs that will live rent-free in your brain for a week. It's, it's fun. Um, you know, like, I, I drive school bus part-time, and there's been days where I, I leave my wallet at home. Um, and you cannot drive a school bus without your driver's license. It's illegal. I mean, it's illegal to drive your car. But there's, it's so much more expensive to get caught with a school bus and no driver's license. And uh, one time we were on vacation, and I, I, use a, I have a sleep apnea, so I use a, a breathing machine, and I forgot it at home on the vacation. And the whole week, it was the most miserable sleep in my life because... I, my wife put me in another room. She's like, I can't, can't deal with it because it's the snoring and the waking up every five minutes. You have Sometimes you forget things uh, that you were supposed to remember, but then, but then there are things that you have to leave behind because where you're going is more important than what was in your hands, right? And you wanted to carry it with you, but you weren't allowed to take it. We were in a, 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 on a flight coming home. Or were we coming home? We had Jakin was young. Zachary was younger. We didn't have Renee, and we were on a plane. I think we were coming home from Florida. We went on a, a vacation. No, not Zachary. Colorado. Thank you. We, Steph and I were coming home from Colorado visiting some friends. And um, you know the rules about liquids on the airplane. Well, apparently going to Colorado, we were allowed to bring the juice box for the kids. But coming home... They suddenly changed the rules on us, and no, we were not allowed to carry the juice box. We could pour the juice into a container and take it on like that because it was the right liquid amount, but because they could not see the juice in the juice box, we couldn't bring it on the plane. And So we, we wanted to bring it with us, but we had to leave it behind because it was more important. Where we were going home was more important than fighting over keeping the juice box, right? I, I, when I went to Bible college, um, I, I got a very, the, the mattresses at Bible college are not the greatest. They're well used and very flat. And so I went and got myself a nice mattress for my Bible college bed. And it was the, the envy of the dorm. And it was the nicest mattress. And the, the friends I made that were in younger, were in years 
after me were very anxious to, were buttering me up near the end of my tenure because they knew I could not carry this mattress home with me. I had to leave it behind, and somebody was going to be bequeathed the lovely mattress I had it at school. And so it was one of those things that I wanted to keep with me because it was so nice, but I had to leave it behind. I had, to, I had to leave it behind and give it to somebody else because I couldn't bring it with me. And then there's times where you go through a door in life, and uh, if you stay at that place of transition too long, it it begins, it's, 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 it's fine to go slow through that door, through that transition, but then if you stay there too long, it's counterproductive to your health. You know, once you go through a grade, you can never go back to that grade again. I often, when, whenever we go to parent-teacher nights at the school, and I get to see the kindergarten and grade one classes, I get a little jealous because... They have some pretty cool things that I would have fun playing with, even as an adult. I just kind of want to build more Lego and play in the sandbox and, and uh, you know, play with the water wheel and all those fun things. But, but I can never walk through the doors of the kindergarten classroom the same again. Once I leave those kindergarten classroom doors, I can never come back through those doors as a student. I may walk back through those doors as a teacher, but I will never walk through those doors again as a student because there has been a necessary ending in my life to that place, and I now transition on to something better. I transition on to something better. Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee, and he intentionally chose to go through a particular route that was odd to the common Jew. A quick history lesson. Uh, Jews and Samaritans were not friends. They were mortal enemies. It was not uncommon if you were a Jew to be passed by a Samaritan and feel spit land on your feet. It was very common because they would often spit at one another as they passed. Instead of saying hello, they would spit at each other because they were just such hated enemies. Well, nobody likes to have spit land on or near their feet, and it would often incite people into fights and, and riots and all. So the best way to avoid it was the old adage, you know, if you cannot play nice, don't play at all. If you can't get along, just go into separate rooms. And essentially, it was two brothers, the, the, the two brothers from the same family that could not get along, the Jews and the Samaritans. And so they basically did not, if they couldn't help it, they tried to avoid going through their lands. And if you had to get to somewhere on the other side of Samaria, you would, as a Jew, a self-respecting Jew, you would go all the way around the city to avoid that area or that region, to avoid really being spit at, spit upon, or treated poorly. And the Bible says that in John chapter 4, verse 4, the Bible says Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Jesus, despite his Jewish upbringing, despite his, his uh, roles and his, his uh you know, his upbringing as a Jew and as a human, there was something inside of him that compelled him to go to a place that he was not personally welcome as a Jew. He must needs go through Samaria. 
Now Jesus gets to Samaria and he sends his disciples on a little errand. He gets rid of them for a while because he needed to focus on a particular mission that his disciples probably would not have understood and probably would not have uh, cooperated with very well. In verse 8, the Bible says he, 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 his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Jesus sent them to the grocery store. All right, boys, all 12 of you go to the grocery store and buy us some food. Again, the reason why you know Jesus was getting rid of them is because he sent 12 men that didn't get along very well to the store to buy food for one meal. I don't even like taking my three children into a grocery store together to, to grocery shop. We, we shop online and pick up at the door because it's just so much easier than getting in and out of the van with kids and walking up and down the aisles buying groceries. Uh, so I can understand, I can see what Jesus is doing here. He's not... He's not just sending them on a natural errand. He's getting rid of them for a while because what he's about to do is super important and he cannot afford to let them mess it up. So he's sitting there at the well in Samaria, just outside of the city. And Jesus' true motive for this errand was completely revealed when he got there. Uh, verse 6 and 7, we read that while Jacob's well was there, Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day. And in our, our terminology, it was noon. It was coming up to, to the middle of the day, the sixth hour of the day. And so it's the hottest point of the afternoon. It's, it's where the sun is the highest. It's where the, the heat is the worst. And it is not a comfortable time of day. And the well is outside the city, not in a nice grove of trees with lots of shade and comfortable surroundings. It's in a kind of an awkward place outside of the city, not shaded by, by trees or, or nice things. And, and, and it's hot. It's the middle of the day. And Jesus sits on the well there. And the Bible says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith to her, Give me to drink. Why is the woman coming at 12 p.m. in the afternoon to get her water for the day? This was an unusual practice. Right away, you begin to notice this, this doesn't seem like the best time to be carrying a large pot of water. Seems like it would be better to go earlier in the day when it's cooler, the sun's not as high. You have a heavy job. You're going to be carrying two really big pots of water. Oftentimes they would carry them on a stick that, was, that would cross over their, their shoulders and the two pots would kind of counterbalance one another. And, and, and so the, she's, she's going at an odd time of the day and she's doing a very heavy job at the hottest time of the day. What is this woman doing getting water at 12 o'clock in the afternoon? It's unusual. Really, the answer is found later in the story. She's coming to the well at this time of day so she doesn't run into anybody. She's coming at this time of day because nobody comes at this time of day. She's coming at this time of day because she's that person that gets on the airplane and gets the window seat and is very excited because she's sitting there and she sees nobody else is coming. But then there's one person coming down the aisle and they lock eyes and instantly she knows this person isn't sitting on the other aisle. No, this person's not sitting in the, the third seat away from me. 
this person is assigned to sit right next to me. And there's seats all around, but I know this person's coming right for me. And the reason she's sitting there and the reason why she's coming is because she didn't want to talk to nobody. She didn't want to see nobody. She didn't want to talk to nobody. She didn't want to deal with anybody because of her past. But Jesus is sitting there at the well waiting for her to come. And by the way, it was very easy. The Jews and the Samaritans wore kinds of clothes that was very easy to distinguish from a distance. This is a Jew. One of the clues was they would have tassels on their clothes. You might have remember a few, maybe a month or so ago, preached on tassels on the clothing. And uh, the Jews often had tassels on the four corners of their clothes. And that was a clear indication this is a Jew. So from a distance, this woman's coming to the well, and she says, oh, great. She, you, know, you can hear her talking to herself. Oh, great. There's somebody at the well. Oh, great. It's a man. Oh, brother. It's a Jew. A Jewish man is sitting at the well, the only well that I have to get. What is he doing at the well at this time of day? And so Jesus is sitting there. And, and, and she's probably saying to herself, I hope he doesn't speak to me. I hope he, he, he ignores me and gives me the cold shoulder like every other Jew in town and, and around. I hope he doesn't have anything to say to me at all because I'm just here to get my water and go. But Jesus does speak to her. In fact, Jesus was there because she was there. And Jesus meets her at the well and he says to her, give me something to drink. Unusual that not only would Jesus speak to her, but he would ask her for a drink. Jesus, who is the well, is sitting on a well asking her for a drink. I mean, think about it. Jesus is the well of water springing up into everlasting life. He's sitting on a well. He could have gotten his own water. But he looks to the woman who's coming at the oddest time of the day and says to her, give me something to drink. This is so like Jesus. Jesus did not ask her for a drink because he himself was thirsty. Jesus was asking her for a drink because he was trying to start a conversation about how thirsty she really was. See, 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 Jesus could see the water at the bottom of the well. He could have easily, probably more easier than her, grabbed the bucket and reached down and pulled up a bit of water to refresh himself. But he was speaking to a woman who had spent her life trying to get water from a broken well. See, this woman had had five broken marriages. And the one that she was in now, the sixth one that she was in, was one with no solution. She, she didn't even marry the last guy that she got in bed with. She didn't even, even try to make it work this time. She was on number five, number six, and she was pretty much finished with the whole charade of let's get married and try to make this happen. No, she was done. She had spent her life trying to make it work, but now it's not even worth making the commitment. She's already disgraced in society. Why not just live together? Because it's so much easier to part ways if we're not married. There's no, there's no agreements. There's no courts. There's no divorce bills. There's nothing we can just separate if things aren't working out. 
But Jesus saw something in her that perhaps she thought was dead and lifeless and gone. I don't think Jesus was really even asking her for a drink of water because nowhere in the story does Jesus ever bend down and pick up a cup and take a sip of water. But what Jesus was asking for, he's, he was really looking down, uh, down the road of where she was and who she would become. And Jesus was calling to pass something that was dead inside of her. Romans chapter 14, ver, 4, verse 6, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says, Even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not, as though they were. God has the capacity, the ability, and the authority to look into the barren life of a dry well and say, I still see water down at the bottom of that well. And you might look down the well and say, but Jesus, there's nothing to draw with. There's no bucket there. There's no water. It's sand. It's dried up. There's snakes at the bottom of that well, Jesus. There ain't nothing down there. And Jesus looks a little closer and says, no, I see something down there that I want. What you need to know about pumps, and maybe some of you know this, if you're going to use a pump that hasn't been used for a while, you've got to pour a little water in to get water out. It's called priming the pump. And what Jesus was doing is he was priming her pump because while the well of her life had been dried for many, many years, Jesus was pouring a little bit of himself into her. He was pouring a little bit of affirmation into her life. He was pouring a little bit of uh, pleasantness and kindness uh, into a soul that hadn't seen the kindness of men for many, many years. Jesus was pouring into her saying, I see something down there that I would like. I think sometimes Jesus looks into the lives of those who are dried up and used by the world. He looks at us when we feel weary and worn and and troubled in our heart and our spirit. And he doesn't come to us and say, now I wish you would. And you should have. And man, you really could have if you had. What Jesus comes is he begins to come and begin to request and require things of us that we say, Lord, I don't know how you could ask that of me. I don't know how you could expect me to do that. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know where I've been? Don't you know how dry I am right now? Right now, And the Lord, I think I can hear him say, it's not so much about your condition that I'm worried about because I can meet the need if you'll be willing to be the vessel and the conduit that I'll flow through. The woman begins to have a conversation with Jesus. And after a little while of back and forth, they argued a little bit about Jacob's well and who was supposed to, who was supposed to worship and where and And finally, Jesus says, you know what? It doesn't really matter. There's coming a day where it's not going to be here in Samaria, and that's not going to be in Jerusalem where you worship, but the Father is seeking such who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, And something resonated in her soul. Some little well of water began to crack down deep inside of her, and she said, I know that when Messiah comes, uh, which is called Christ, he will come and he will tell us uh, all things. And Jesus said, I that speak to you am he I that speak to you am he and you might read that and go that's really nice that's really great Jesus said this this really revelatory statement to her but do you notice what chapter of the book of John we're in we're not in John 14 we're not in John 20 we're not not some way 
far down the line where Jesus had already said this a bunch of times to a bunch of people. This is the first woman, the first person in the world to hear these words uttered from the mouth of a human being. Jesus chose a Samaritan, not just a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman, not just a Samaritan woman, not the highest of society. He went to the one who wouldn't even come to the well at the same time as everybody else to reveal himself point blank. Many other people, Jesus spoke in riddles. To the, the religious leaders, Jesus spoke in parables so that he could conceal truth until the appointed time. But to the dregs of society, to the one who felt like she had nothing to give, Jesus pulled back the curtain and said, I that speak to you am he. This is one of what, the, what scholars call the I am statements of Jesus, where Jesus, like God in the Old Testament, pulls back the curtain of revelation like he did to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses said, what shall I say? What name shall I give to your people? Who shall I send sent me? And the Lord said to Moses, say, I am that I am has sent me unto you. And it's to this woman that Jesus says for the first time, I am he. He was revealing himself to be the manifestation of that mighty God from the Old Testament. Jehovah of the Old has become Jesus of the New. She was checkered in her past. She was not accepted in her society. She was an outcast from her, her, her Jewish orthodoxy heritage. She was a woman, and she was the lowest of all women in her society. But it was to this one that Jesus said, will you give me something to drink? There's something you have I want. There's something down inside of you that's still good. I wonder sometimes when we feel like we're at the bottom of the barrel, and we feel like we don't have anything to offer, the Lord looks to us specifically and says, there's something there that I require. There's a drink inside of you that I would like to partake of. There's a part of your life that's still important to me and still valuable to me. But Lord, the world has, has, has declared me invaluable. The world has left me broken and bruised. The world has battered and, and broken me and I feel dry and unable to maintain this charade any longer. And the Lord says, great, you're in the perfect place where I can use you. She was so filled up by this conversation. She was so transformed by this conversation. The Bible says in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not the Messiah, the Christ. Then they went out of the city and came unto him, and revival was born from one broken woman who got the revelation of who Jesus was. I'm so glad she didn't have to sit through a 10-week discipleship course before she could go out and teach her first home Bible study. 
I'm so glad Jesus didn't make her get all the, the, the cues in the right place. He didn't even require her to get married before she went out and started telling people about Jesus. He didn't even wait for her to break up with her current boyfriend and, and her, her situation. He didn't wait till she had everything lined up. She was ready to be used upon receiving a revelation of who Jesus was. Sometimes I think the church can put a lot of hindrances and roadblocks into people being used for God. You can be used of God. If God touches your life today, you're just as qualified as the person that comes off the street and gets filled with the Holy Ghost. If God has touched your life, you're like the prodigal son that he didn't change his clothes but his father put a new pair of clothes over top of the old and didn't even ask him to wash his hands but put a new ring on his finger. Didn't wash his feet but put new sandals on it because God is able to transform a life by just touching it. Jesus touched her and she was transformed. But notice, notice the detail, right? The Bible says the woman left her water pot. I don't think that's a trivial detail. I don't think that's just there for color and, and, and accentuating. I think that was a specific mention for a specific purpose. Remember, she was coming to the water well with her water pot to get water. And Jesus said to her, if you drink from this well, you're going to be thirsty again. But if you drink from what I drink, you'll never thirst again. And just a few minutes with Jesus, she forgot about her water pot. Now, she couldn't go home and turn on the tap and get water. That's why she had to go to the well. This was her life source. This water pot represented her life up until that point. That was dry and was empty, and she had to walk a long way to get it refilled, and she had to do it at the worst time of day, in the worst situations, and hope she didn't run into anybody along the way, because they would have made it even worse experience for her. But after all of this conversation with Jesus, she leaves her water pot behind. She leaves her old way of quenching her thirst behind. She carried around the pot that contained water that only supplied for a few hours, even for a few days. But now she leaves that behind because for the first time in her life, her real thirst was quenched. Her spiritual thirst was quenched to the point that she forgot about her natural thirst. She left her water pot behind. It was symbolic. I'm leaving my old life behind. That, that old way of jumping from relationship to relationship uh, to find satisfaction that I'm leaving behind. The old patterns of sin and, uh, and worldliness that I've clung to, I'm leaving that behind because I have something new. This is not the first time you see this. You'll find this almost in every character's life of the scripture. You'll find them leaving something behind. In Mark chapter 10, there's a story of a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, sits at the roadside. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love this. Bartimaeus hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. Significance here is that Nazareth was like the, 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 the low, low end sticks of society. In fact, when one of Jesus' disciples first met him and heard that he was from Nazareth, his first response to where Jesus was from is, 
Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Is it possible for a prophet to come from Nazareth? Even the Mas- No, surely this is a joke. You can't tell me that something good comes out of that dirty old city. You can't, and, and, and there's no real historical significance other than what we read in the scripture. Nazareth was a place that was, was regarded as a, a bit of a disgrace. And uh, you didn't want to be known from Nazareth. If you could, you would change cities and, and kind of draw your lineage from a different source if it was possible for you to do that. Because to be known from Nazareth was like, uh, people would hold on to their wallet a little tighter. They'd, they'd keep their money bag a little closer. They'd, they'd find some way to excuse themselves from your presence, all because you were from Nazareth. But Bartimaeus doesn't call out to Jesus. And by the way, so many people refer to often in the scripture Jesus as from Nazareth. He's Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus of Nazareth. All over the, all over the, the, the area, Jesus was known as the man from Nazareth. But Bartimaeus says, not Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. He says, I know what everybody else calls you, Jesus, but I know who you are. I know what what they've named you as and what your identity as far as the world is concerned. But Jesus, I know your real identity. You're the son of David. You're the next king of Israel. You are Messiah by saying you're the son of David. He was confessing to everybody in that vicinity. This is no ordinary man, but this is a very special man. And I want him to have mercy on me. I want the king to stop by and hear my plea. I want the king that's passing by to stop and hear about me. And the Bible says that everybody around him tried to shush him. Shush, Bartimaeus. Be quiet. You're causing a disturbance. You're being too loud. And the Bible says that the more they rebuked him, the more he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And it stopped Jesus in his tracks. And Jesus stopped and the Bible said, Jesus said to his disciples, call him. And they sent the word down the line, Jesus is calling you. And this is what happened. Bartimaeus is sitting there at the gate. He's sitting there on the side of the road with his beggar's cloak on. It was customary for you to wear a uniform. If you were going to be a beggar, you had to wear something that signified you were a beggar. If you were diseased with leprosy, you had to wear the kind of clothes that signified to people from a distance you had this disease. And beggars were no exception. They were often given a cloak that was their blanket. It was their coat. It was their overcoat. It was everything to them. It is what they probably laid out on the ground to collect the money. When the money would drop down on their coat, they could, they could easily scoop it up. They wore this beggar's cloak. And it was significant to them. It was probably the only piece of clothing that they owned and was their property. And the Bible says when he heard that Jesus called him, he threw off his cloak. And he sprang up and came to Jesus. He took that thing that signified, this is my identity. This is my beggar's uniform. And the Bible says he threw it off. He threw off his coat. He put it aside because something inside of him said, I'm not going to need 
that coat anymore. I'm leaving this behind. Jesus has called, and I'm going to answer. And when Jesus calls, I'm going to leave behind the thing that I don't need anymore. See, the woman at the well knew, I don't need that pot anymore. I'll leave it behind. Blind Bartimaeus knew when Jesus called him, I'm not going to need that beggar's coat anymore because I'm fixing to get my eyesight back. I don't have to go back to that old way of living. I'm not going to have to provide for myself by begging anymore. Jesus called me. He's going to give me a new robe to wear. He's going to give me a new coat to wear. He's going to put something new on me. You can read it over and over in the scripture. Ruth leaves behind her family to follow Naomi into a land that she knew would be hostile to her. But she said to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go. I'm leaving my old destination behind. Where you stay, I'll stay. I'm leaving my own sleeping quarters behind. Where, where, where you work, I'll work. Your people are going to be my people because I'm leaving my people behind. Your God is going to be my God because I'm leaving the multiplicity of my deities behind me and I'm following the one true and living God. Abraham when he was in his father's house the Lord appears to him somehow and says Abraham pick up and leave your father's house leave your heritage leave your inheritance leave your family and go to the land that I'll show you and Abraham leaves it all behind and follows God. Joseph when he was in Potiphar's house the wife of Potiphar comes to him and says, Joseph, come. Let's lie down together. Joseph says, I, I can't do that against my God. Can't do that against my master. She grabbed his coat, and Joseph said, well, I don't need that anymore. And he left his coat behind and left the house because it was better to leave a coat that signified his position to avoid temptation that would have destroyed him than to hold on to that thing of his, of his past. You see, we all have something. The disciples left their fishing net. They left their tax collecting ledgers. They left their 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 uh, 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 zealous ways. They left everything behind and began to follow a man from Galilee. Because whenever you answer the call of Jesus, you're going to leave something behind. Now the question for you this morning, and this is where I I, I wrestled. I wanted to make applications. I wanted to give for instances. But I could do that and miss somebody in the room. I could miss where you're at this morning because I personally don't know exactly what you need to leave behind to answer the call of Jesus. But I'll just read what Paul wrote in Philippians 3. Sister Bryson, as you come and if we could stand. Paul said, if I could have confidence in my own efforts, I would have the most reason to have confidence. In Philippians 4, 5, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous, I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Once I thought these things were valuable, Paul said. All of my achievements, here they are. I'll list them out for you. But now I consider those achievements worthless because of what Christ has done for me. When compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have discarded everything else.
See, we don't just throw away the bad. Paul said, I also threw away the good. I threw away all of my accomplishments. I threw away all of my righteousness. I threw away everything that I thought was good, and I surrendered and submitted myself to Jesus. That's why Jesus said it's harder for the rich man to enter. It's easy for the beggar to throw away his coat. But how easy is it for the educated man to lay aside his Ph.D. and follow Jesus? How easy is it for us to lay aside our comforts and our wealth and our riches and follow Jesus? I don't know where Jesus is calling you or what he's calling you to leave behind. But mark my words this morning, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to leave something behind. And you might say, Pastor, I've already left something behind. I've already left family. I've already left old ways. I've already left things behind to follow Jesus. Then maybe maybe there's, there's something in your life that's calling you to a new level. Because it wasn't just these one-time things that people had to leave behind, but there was often many moments in ministry. Paul, later in his ministry, had to leave behind a relationship with Barnabas to strike up a new one with Silas to go and answer the call because Barnabas didn't want to come without John Mark. There was a parting. There was something left behind. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God is calling you to or what he's asking you to leave behind. And maybe maybe you've picked something up that God asked you to leave behind a long time ago. Maybe it's a burden that you weren't meant to carry. Maybe it's guilt for something in your past. I don't know what it is this morning that you have to leave behind. Maybe maybe there's something that you're holding on to that you really had you've had a hard time letting go of in the past, but now God is calling you to something. He's asking you to forget what's behind you. Forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. God is calling us to greater things. God is calling us to different levels of our walk with him. And what are we going to leave behind? What are we going to surrender to him? Would you find a place of prayer this morning, either at the front here, praying together, joining hands, or praying for one another and ministering to each other, or find a place of prayer at your seat? I don't know where where the Lord is leading you or what he's dealing with you about this morning, but there's something in our hearts that God wants us to answer the call. Are we going to leave behind everything and follow after him? Maybe it's just a prayer. God, assure me that I've left everything. If there's anything in my life that I have not left behind, help me to see it. If there's anything, God, that's left over in my life, help me to recognize it. Help me to leave it behind. Hallelujah. Would you pray? Would you come? Would you talk to the Lord? Would you Speak to him right now. Just find that place of prayer. Let's talk to him for a few minutes before we leave today. In Jesus' name.